active managers are becoming more accepting of transparency. And I think when we talk about the flows that we saw out of mutual funds and in, into ETFs, it's just important to, to see that the potential profits investor interest is definitely moving towards shifting towards ETFs. Hello, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, our weekly podcast covering top stories and market analysis from the ETF perspective. My name is Daria Solovieva, and I'm joined by my colleague, editor-in-chief of ETF.com, Sean Aloka. Hi, Sean. Hey, everybody. Today, we're joined by Brian Armour, Director of Passive Strategies Research for North America at Morningstar. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Daria. It's great to have you with us uh, as we're closing out the year. And uh, I wanted to ask you about the research that you shared recently earlier this month in terms of the number of ETF launches that we've seen this year. And given that there's still a few days left of the year, I was wondering if you are still projecting that we'll be falling short of last year. As of earlier this month, there are 391 ETFs that were launched in 2022. And uh, it looks to still be on pace to, to fall just short of last year's record of 438. Yeah, and obviously a lot going on this um, this year, but in terms of the driving factors, could you just highlight in terms of some of the dynamics that we've seen in the ETF space and why um, you're anticipating um, the total volume still to fall short of the previous record? Yeah, I think on a, it's it's mostly market-driven. I think we saw um, when, when markets were stronger, we saw a lot more different investment ideas, sort of thematic funds and different strategies being born as ETFs and, and you know, as, as investors were sort of pulling maybe money out or, you know, markets are managing the risks at hand, it, it just became less of a good time to, to be launching ETFs in general. So, um, but we did still see a large number of, of active ETFs launch in 2022, which was sort of the big story this year. Mm-hmm. We definitely want to talk about that story um, in a bit. I, I think what interests me, you said a lot of had to do with the market and kind of what was happening in terms of launches. What, what is the process? I know you spent a lot of time at Finra about getting a, getting a fund launched. So in in a in a bad market, obviously people don't want to kind of get get right into it and launch new products. What's the process like if you're in a in a in a bear market or recession? Um, I know these things take months to get launched and approved and all that. So do you just kind of sit back and you kind of wait it out? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that asset manager would hold off is because the number one sort of advantage is that you need seed money and you need to to sort of as much as you can make a splash when you first launch a fund to to get that initial boost in in assets. And, um, you know, if if investors are sort of on the sidelines, it's not the best opportunity to do that. But in general, the the ETF rule that um, the SEC passed in in 2019 did make it easier uh, to to launch funds. You don't have to receive exemptive relief, for example, from the SEC anymore. But um, but it's it's more a timing of you know what's the level that the appetite of investors for for a certain strategy right now, and and that's really been sort of the headwind on launches. But like I said, this is still, you know, the, the second most uh, ETFs launched in a year ever. The ETF wrapper is robust right now. It's it's done significantly better than mutual funds this year, and, and it'll continue to see that trend moving forward. Got it, got it. Yeah, and not too shabby, right, to have right behind a record year in, in what happened with the markets this year. So 
for sure. And and talking about some of the options that we do have, you in your research earlier this month, you said some of the best options that that you saw in terms of ETF have been on the menu for quite some time. So what what's sort of happening there? Just you know the new launches kind of having some trouble, you know, gaining a foothold? Is it just that the big the big top three are just have such a, a lion's share of the market? What are some of the dynamics? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of all of those things at once, right? And and what we saw in terms of inflows this year is Vanguard and iShares. I believe iShares moved into first place, but are, are way out in front of the pack um, in terms of inflows. And so those are all strategies that have been around forever you know things like s p 500 tractor trackers like ivv or voo or um, vti the the vanguard total mo- uh, stock market etf so these are these are just cheap you know beta trackers that you know it's just hard to beat for that level of diversification and low cost um for for most funds and and so it's really hard to sort of move the needle and get investors to to move off that mark um, and, and jump in elsewhere. For sure. Brian, you've mentioned the one of the biggest trends this year has been the growth um, in actively managed ETFs. So in terms of the growth in the actively managed ETFs, I was wondering if you could share what are some of the drivers behind that? We've seen, you know, very 73 billion of investors commitments coming in. And what do you do you see that trend continuing going forward into next year? Yeah, so I definitely expect the trend to continue. Um, we saw, uh, you know, over $800 billion of outflows in active, actively managed mutual funds. And on the opposite side, we saw $73 billion of net inflows into um, actively managed ETFs, which is just kind of a staggering difference. Um, but really what's changed is two things. There's the advent of the, the ETF rule added some additional uh, portfolio management tools for, for active managers that they don't have in mutual funds. And, and that's really just the, the custom creation and redemption baskets. So when you know an authorized participant or market maker comes to um, create or redeem new ETF shares, um, what they can do is they can pick and choose what are in the baskets uh, that are that are sort of uh, exchanged for those ETF shares, and and that allows them to trade, basically change, make portfolio changes without going into secondary market and incurring you know transaction costs or or having being forced to you know cross the bid ask spread or anything like that. And so that's a big step forward for for active managers in using the ETF wrapper over mutual funds, and then. Obviously, ETFs are more tax efficient, so sort of tax managed ET, uh, mutual funds are, are sort of a no-brainer to, to move into the ETF wrapper. But then the second major thing is that active managers are becoming more accepting of transparency. And I think when we talk about the flows that we saw out of mutual funds and in, into ETFs, it's just important to, to see that the potential profits investor interest is definitely moving towards shifting towards ETFs. And so active funds, whether for a long time, we're wary about giving the daily transparency that comes with ETFs of their strategy and, and their portfolios, I guess. And they've sort of set that aside. I think we've seen some major active managers enter the ETF ray and there's no, you know, front running or or some sort of like 
people copying copying their strategy or any concerns like that. And it's also the pace of growth that's interesting, right? I mean, in terms of this segment, the actively managed ETF is growing three times faster than the ETFs overall. Is that the pace of growth that you also see continuing into the next year? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, some of the last major holdouts of mutual fund providers are starting to dip their toes into ETFs, and I, I don't expect that to change. And I was talking to one asset manager where they were they were trying to find you know, a, a portfolio manager for one of their new active ETFs. And um, this is a, a few years back. And they basically said, no, I like, I don't want the daily transparency. I want to stay in a mutual fund form format. And, um, and now today they're, they're calling up that asset manager saying, Hey, we want to, <laughs> we're ready. We're, we want to be a part of, we want to manage ETFs. So, um, you know, think about us next time you're launching an ETF. So it just shows that the different mindset um, for active managers. Fascinating. That's super interesting, Brad. I think one of the interesting, the most interesting parts that you said was that active managers are a lot more accepting of transparency, where in the past they were more likely to kind of keep keep the, you know, the secret sauce close to their chest, so to speak. So is there a reason why that you've seen that evolution of active managers being more um, accepting of going transparent and not as worried um, of other people seeing what goes into those portfolios. Yeah, so I, again, I think it's two different pieces there. Number one, uh, I think competition and flows investors are are sort of dictating that shift. Um, they're saying that, you know, we prefer ETFs over mutual funds. We prefer lower costs, um, lower taxes. And so you know, they're, they're sort of following the flows there to some extent. But I think the second piece of that is we've had some big active managers um, step into ETFs and do it without any problems. And once you see that, once there's a track record of transparency, doesn't really affect, um, you know, the ability to to implement a strategy, then it, it makes everyone feel a little more comfortable with it. So let's jump into, into the winners. <clears throat> and, um, and then we'll get to the losers right after. But um, so it's been a it's been a good year for some for some ETFs, and I think that the winner that you came out with in in all of 2022 is a dimensional U.S. small cap value ETF. So can you talk a little bit about that fund and why it, it came out on top in your book? Yeah, so it's Dimensional Fund Advisors is one of the the asset managers I was talking about where they've had a ton of success in mutual funds a few years ago, just stepped into ETFs. Um, and they actually made their transition with um, their tax, man tax managing uh, mutual funds, uh, actually converting those into ETFs um, to improve their their uh, um, their tax management uh, process. But yeah, so I mean, this is a strategy that sort of the way I put it is it it's like taking a Eugene Fama white paper and putting it in ETF form. And what that means is Eugene Fama is a Nobel laureate. Um, he wrote, you know, the efficient market hypothesis. He worked with kind of French on the three and five factor models. So um, we talk about these factor investing, uh, small size and value were sort of the original uh, factors um, in the, the three factor model. And so dimensional U.S. small cap value ETF really focuses in on on those factors. And it does so in a in a sensible way by um you know targeting 
low valuations, low price multiples, but also adding sort of like a profitability screen um, to to help avoid value traps where fundamentals are are declining and and you don't you don't want to hold those types of um, cheap companies that are only getting cheaper. And so so at the end of the day, it's it's the the profitability component adds some value, um, and then it's a diverse portfolio. It holds more than 800 stocks. Um, it's top 10 largest positions only make up 8% of the assets. And so it takes sort of like a, a diversified portfolio and to, towards a value and, and holds profitability a little higher than, than sort of most small cap value strategies. That makes sense. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the losers. We don't have to call them the losers, but it's certainly been a challenging time in the crypto industry for everybody. Um, and the the funds that you've highlighted, the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, lost more than 62% this year. The question is, you know, we also have a piece out this week from our analyst, Samit Roy, about the way that crypto space has been, you know, a disaster this year for investors. Do you see the sector recovering um, in 2023, or do you think that this was sort of just really bad timing for ETF investors interested in the Bitcoin space, or do you feel like there's um, not quite the verdict yet on on this particular um, structure for those interested in the crypto space? Yeah, I think some of the was as cash got a little harder to come by i think some of the the growth that's built into some of the prices of you know crypto adjacent type companies sort of went away and and so we saw you know cryptocurrencies drop we've seen major issues with um you know ftx and and various other parts of the cryptocurrency landscape and like at the end of the day, I don't think anyone knows exactly what's going to happen with Bitcoin. And I think that's part of the problem is is there's no real fundamental basis at this point to to create expect build expectations off of. Um, and so it, it's anyone's guess. I wouldn't, you know, in, in general, it it's going to be highly volatile. Um, these things, the the ways that you can invest in in cryptocurrencies currently are all typically high fee as well and so it's just it's not it's not an area of the market that i particularly go to but um at the same point i wouldn't bet against it and that's that's the the etf i actually included in the article for for worst new etfs of 2022 bito was actually launched in 2021 so unfortunately that that wasn't mm-hmm. eligible um but um mm-hmm. but the inverse uh bitcoin strategy biti despite sort of entering in June and on the backdrop of declining cryptocurrency prices, Bitcoin prices, um, it actually lost money. Um, and so I think investors can forget that these are daily products and the performance won't match, you know, sort of the exposure over the long term. And, you know, ProShares is sort of playing the role of casino, uh, offering, mm-hmm. you know, both sides of the bet and, and collecting, you know, one percent fee or ninety-five basis point fee from each. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you brought up. Given your background and kind of regulatory experience on the regulatory side of things, um, you know, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty, and, and it's fair uh, point to make about anybody's game. But if we were to ask you about, you know, what is it going to take for the Bitcoin? Um, spot Bitcoin ATF to materialize. There's a lot of back and forth and a lot of steps to take. Um, 
you know, the Canadian space managed to make it work. And certainly there's a lot of investor excitement around it, you know, judging by the first um, Bitcoin futures ETF into 2021. So w- what would you say would it take for it to to happen in 2023 or going forward? Yeah, so it's I, I can't imagine it's easier today um, just because of right the backdrop of Bitcoin losing you know, over half its value this year and the current fraud investigations related to, to FTX and things things of that nature. But I think where you're going to see a chance for a spot Bitcoin ETF is going to be if the SEC is regulating Bitcoin markets. Um, and I don't really know how how that ends up happening or if that if that ruins Bitcoin, if if they are regulating it or, or what sort of the implications there would be. But um, it's it, their concern is that it's not regulated. They were comfortable launching a Bitcoin futures ETF because CFTC was uh, regulating that. And um, so it, it that's I think that's what it comes down to. That's what the SEC's sort of signal. But at the end of the day, I don't know that much more than than anyone else. Let's talk about some predictions maybe for next year. I'm assuming a spot Bitcoin ETF might not be on your <laughs> predictions for 2023. But, um, you know, given the the signals we've seen from the Fed and possibly slowing the, the the increases, the rate hikes, where the economy is. What kinds of ETFs do you anticipate performing well in that sort of you know environment? We've seen dividend ETFs gain some steam this year, even some um, short short yield uh, Treasury ETFs as well. Um, what do you see if you look into the crystal ball for next year? Yeah, so it is. I mean, I think. Investors continue to face several headwinds going into 2023 that, you know, we faced in 2022, namely rising interest rates, as you just mentioned, and that it is slowing. It went from 75 basis points to 50. But, uh, you know, the Fed seems primed to continue raising rates at this point um, and then signal they'll, they'll keep them higher than maybe the market expects. So who wins that tug of war, the Fed or the market? Um, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, but that risk remains. And then there's also the looming risk of a recession. There's a decent amount of geopolitical risk right now with the war, Russia's war in U- Ukraine. You know, China's, you know, always a potential risk. And But there's also some good signs, right? Like China's reopening after scrapping their zero COVID policy. Like you said, the, the rate hikes are slowing a little bit. We've had a couple good inflation prints in a row. Um the potential outcomes are sort of endless, <laughs> though. And so what I think investors need to focus on is managing the risks and, and costs that are within their control. And that means going back to the basics, holding a diversified portfolio of assets um, to remove sort of like the stock specific risk that you can get from a concentrated portfolio or or just holding individual stocks. And um, it means investing in low cost funds, buying Buying back bonds. If if investors got rid of their bonds um, after uh, you know the rough the rough go in 2022, now's a good time to get back in. And and same goes with foreign assets. You know, and and both of those would sort of hedge against a, a significant recession, and then also depreciating dollar. And um, so I I would say the the risk of bonds you know highly correlating with stocks again is much lower at these higher yields than they were when we we're at historic low yields. And so, as you mentioned, dividend funds like value has had a great run. I think that 
remains this a sensible tilt to, for investors to um, to continue like stick with value um, in 2023, and you get a little bit of a, a margin of safety um, by buying uh, ETFs or or other funds with lower price multiples because there's less room for them to drop than really with like high price stocks. And so at the end of the day, like sensible diversified value strategies could avoid, you know, some of the concentrated deep value type strategies that where, you know, a couple value traps could wipe out the entire fund's returns. Yeah, well, I'll say, and I think um, an interesting takeaway was control what you can in terms of fees and not only in in investing in ETS, but it's pretty good life lesson. Just control what you can, um, especially, especially in these crazy environments. Daya, I know you have another one before we wrap up. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, Brian, in terms of the um, takeaways for the last year, we certainly had a lot of curveballs, but is there anything else that we haven't covered um, that either surprised you or you didn't see coming or you see kind of continuing into into the next year in the ETF space? Yeah, um, I mean, it's I would say the biggest thing is is we talk about, um, you know, inflows into the ETFs and, you know, they brought in over 500 billion through November and and obviously sort of on the opposite side mutual funds outflows of over 800 billion and you know it's not a record of inflows for ETFs this year that was uh last year but but the difference between ETFs and mutual funds is a record and so mm-hmm. you know investors like asset managers everyone in in on Wall Street is is shifting to ETFs and so you know it's a, it's a great time to be in in ETFs, it's a great time for active managers to move over, and there's still a, a lot of room to run. Mutual funds still hold a majority of of assets, um, and when we talk about actively managed ETFs, um, they're they're moving at a fast pace, but they're still at just five percent of the ETF market. So there's there's still a lot of room to run on these trends. Absolutely, and we'll continue to watch that trend next year and cover the story for us. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. Absolutely, thank you both.